0: Welcome to the EQ4 podcast with me, Deborah McPhillamy. In this podcast, we talk about developing emotional intelligence as well as learning about social intelligence, how to handle your emotions in your relationships, in business and in your life in general. I also talk to other experts in the field and I'll give you some tools, tips and techniques to help you to be more EQ and welcome back to the you write your story podcast and this afternoon we are speaking to Linda Sage welcome linda welcome to the show thank you very much for having me i'm really excited about being here <laughs> fantastic so as i said i was looking i was looking you up a little bit before we started and obviously reading your story a little bit about your your burnout And um, I noticed that you work a lot with anxiety, you help people with their depression, and then you're also a psychologist. So is all of this, did all of this come about after you had your burnout, or was there something that you did before um, you had this major kind of shift in your life, as it may? Uh, Well I was a criminal
1: psychologist by uh, profession so I did a lot of work within prisons and uh, as you are, I think many of us in our generation now have full-time work, you have children and you have elderly parents. So Mm -hmm. you're you're balancing a lot of plates and beforehand I had started getting into doing voluntary work uh, was supporting other caregivers, especially because supervision is something that was always lacking for, for people, especially within the nursing industry and things like this. So I had started to get into doing that, but then. Uh, everything just piled piled up. Um, My dad had a cerebral hemorrhage, my mum had a a fall so I had both of them really ill. My daughter has many things on the autistic spectrum so I was taking on an educational training as well, that I was holding down as well. So many things led to it but at the time yeah, you know, it's just like yes, come on, you can do this. It's just one more thing. Carry on. Let's let's
0: keep going. Yeah. Can I backtrack um, one little one little bit there? So you said that you were you actually so you started off in your field as a criminologist or a criminal psychologist. Psychologist, yes. And what on earth got you into that field? Because I mean, that sounds like a really really interesting field to go into. Obviously, the behaviour of, of of people that commit crimes. Yeah. Um, Well,
1: when I first went to university, my dad was so excited because I was the first one in the family, basically, to go to university. So when I went down to the University of Kent, I really sort of hadn't made my mind up. And I was talking to some of the lecturers there. And one of them said to me, right, before you sign up for anything, go and watch this lecture. So I did go to the lecture and it was just felt like coming home. It made so much sense to me and it was psychology and I'd never even thought mm. of it before. Uh, and so when I got home, I was so excited and uh, uh, my dad was waited, and my mum and they said, oh, what have you signed up for? like psychology. I think wasn't happy about, happy about that at all. At all. No, um, but for me, it, it was fabulous. And so I did my... my Um, degree in that and I went on to do my masters and that's and I was doing a lot of work with uh, victims and I was doing a lot of work with the police and things like this and it felt quite difficult for me to be involved with the victims Mm. so um, I got involved with the perpetrators doing profiles and things like this and that was my safety net Because when you're talking about children and things like this, you know what a child of eight or four or 11 is like, but you're not dealing with the actual person, the soul and the parents and things like this. So it was basically my, my boundary, which uh, was the safeguard for me. And, um, yeah, it was, it was just fantastic and I've been so lucky with it. I've travelled a lot of the world, worked in many places, and uh, yeah, life was going well. I, um, I got married and had a daughter. She had a lot of learning um, disabilities, as we sort of found out on the way through, um, with the Asperger's and uh, um, dyslexia, dyspraxia,
0: uh, OCD
1: things like this. Um, so there was a big fight on with education, and a lot later on, um, so I was then working sort of some in education so I wanted to know how best to support her. Yeah. And it came to light that an awful lot of people within the prison system um, have these learning disabilities, mm. and a lot of them haven't been identified. So they are being able to have this knowledge in the system, not just for education, but actually how they they live because obviously all of them interact in social interaction, time you know, personal management and things like this. So it was a big, big step for me then realizing that it had such an impact on the way of life within the prison. And then... um, things really started building up and taking on an educational tribunal for my daughter. Um, my parents were obviously getting more elderly. My mum uh, fell and broke her hip. Oh while my, my dad had a cerebral hemorrhage and it was just like everything within an 18 month period. It was, it was oh. just so heavy and intense. And at work because um, always short staffed you're always doing extra hours you're traveling mm-hmm. and it's very difficult working with that type of person to then come home walk up to the front door forget it and walk in and say hi you know what's for dinner yeah yeah so de- dealing with that and that's what really led to the complete you know burnout for me
0: because mm-hmm. I've the points and can i ask you so obviously you know, having a, a background and understanding of um, human behavior and how we all operate and uh, how we function, was there no sort of indication that you, you, you thought that you were going to have a burnout? Did it get to a point where you realized that you had to stop, but you just felt that you had to keep going? Or, you know, were there any kind of symptoms that you recognized and that you just ignored? Yeah, denial is the
1: greatest place to live and most people in, in care live in denial because yeah. it's always, you know, yes, I, I, know, I know all these facts, it's like, yeah, it's exactly the same with eating, you know, you know an apple is a much better choice than a great big donut, but we still choose the donut. And with with this at the same time, you can know all this information, yeah. but you look at it, if somebody else is in that, you would be saying to them, do X, Y, and Z, but if it's you, you're like, oh, yes, it's, it's for everybody else, but I'm fine.
0: But and why do you think that is? Now You know, so you made a really, really good, valid point there, because as you say, I mean, I'm one of those people, I healed my body from chronic fatigue syndrome by changing my diet, because I used to live on, on toast and barbell, you know, because I didn't have time to eat, I couldn't be bothered about food, I was raising two children single-handedly, so it was more about my focus on them, making sure that they ate properly, they lived well, and completely neglected myself, and then obviously, you know, when I had um, was diagnosed with this chronic fatigue syndrome, I was then told, well, you know, I either have to start looking after myself and eating properly, or I'm not going to have the energy. So which I did. But now in my later life, I feel like I'm back to that stage. And I'm like, I couldn't be bothered. I couldn't be bothered eating that apple. I'd rather have, once again, the slice of toast. So what is it do you think, or in your opinion, about us human beings that continue to ignore that self-esteem
1: it comes down to about valuing yourself as much as you value you know, wow. somebody else. It, it's the same the same question if if you think about uh recently if you made a promise to somebody whether it's a colleague a friend a loved one and you couldn't keep it how yeah. did you feel about it awful really bad but you make a promise to yourself and you don't keep it how do you feel about it? Guilt, <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, but you're, st- but not in comparison to what you yeah. feel about letting somebody else down. Mm-hmm. So why? What? Where's the difference? Because you're not valuing your promise to yourself as much as you're valuing your promise to somebody else. And we make excuses for uh, others, but uh, for for ourselves, we, we just like you know brush it off. It doesn't matter because if you don't respect you.
0: Or is anybody else going to respect you? Yeah, yeah. So, yes, I agree. So, it's that whole thing about where you just said, if you don't respect yourself, how should somebody else respect you? And I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday where they were saying they've learned that, you know, um, I think it was years ago, I said to them, you really need to learn to love yourself. And at the time, he said, why on earth should I do that? What is the point? And the pennies only just dropped when he said, well, how is anybody else supposed to love me if I don't love myself first? So it kind of is in the same line, isn't it? It is very much, and and also one of the things I say for is
1: if you are caring for somebody else or your parent, and you're caring for children, what message are you teaching them? Yeah. You know, if they go on to have bad relationships, or you know, to to have addictions, or to you know, treat themselves badly, where are they learning mm. it from?
0: very true such an important point so coming back to your story so you said it was 18 months where you were obviously you were taking care of your family you were taking care of the people that you worked with you had a daughter with learning difficulties so so take me to the point where it all just fell apart uh i went into uh to work in prison and uh, i was working
1: with um a serious offender and I was sitting writing up the notes and another offender came and stood in the doorway yes. so that that blocked the exit because there was only one so literally it was a cat and mouse game to see you know a power a power trip oh. so uh, in the end when when he went and I came out I went back to the office and everybody had gone home yeah so it, it was just the the straw on the camel's back that it made me think well you know I could have been dead I could have been there in a pool of blood and everybody's gone home through all this time I put on a huge amount of weight because Mm. uh, not eating properly obviously not taking care of myself and also going into a prison one of the last things you want to feel is attractive because then you're vulnerable Mm. so it was a hiding it was a shield as well Mm. and so we literally moved countries. I moved from the UK back to Spain. Wow. And I took my mum and my dad with me and I was caring for them. And it was, uh, now I realise it was running away. Yeah, I just wanted uh, geography, let me move, let me change everything. Um, But um, at the time I was still in denial. My daughter took a photograph of me the first day we moved into the house. Now there's been no photographs for a long time because when you're, in burnout and that photographs you know you make all the excuses up not to be social you yeah. cut off contact even with people that you like mm. um, you, know, you isolate yourself really well yeah. and so so this house had a beautiful swimming pool so we moved in and it was october and uh, it'd been quite a heavy uh, couple of few days of that so i was by the pool which i would never have done in a public pool so I was there and I'd actually fallen asleep okay. and my daughter took a photograph and she came out later and said, and she went, oh, she was so excited. I've taken the photograph and she put it on Facebook. Oh gosh. And I looked like a dead whale. I, had so, I was so big and my mouth was open and I was obviously snoring and this, this photo had gone all around the world and it oh. still took me 10 days to realize I wasn't angry with her putting you know how could she put this photograph out it never came into my head Mm. how would I let myself get into this situation
0: Mm. now the
1: denial was still there this this is me what have I done to me you know how did I become this Mm. because I was hiding behind everything so with everything I knew it was okay for everybody else but I wasn't doing it for me yeah sure So it's been a long road back on that one. It took me about, well, over six years to start working in psychology again. And it it took me over 11 and a half years to walk back into a prison again. Wow. And uh, I I started my sort of recovery then, which was step by step. But again, life throws you curveballs.
0: So you lost your mum and your husband and your dad? Within 14 months wow that's a huge loss so that
1: yeah you're you're just you're recovering back from your um burnout and then life is is going on and other things happen Mm. but as you start recovering you find the strength to be able to deal with those in a different way they didn't send me back to the biscuit barrel or you know the alcohol i was lucky mine was food you know I would I would emotionally eat whereas a lot of people it's drink or you know self-medication and things like this so in respect I was lucky but unfortunately now you know I didn't get a lot of support mm. uh, a lot of my journey was on my own or by the contacts I was making that I got some really good help there but people in professional situations now are still not getting any better support Yeah, yeah so, so learning, you know, where I started doing a lot of work was about prevention and mm-hmm. you're caring for yourself while you're caring for somebody
0: else. Because if not, in the end, you're going to end up with two people that need caring for. Yeah. And how do you link that? So when you're saying, you know, about the fact that... Because you obviously knew on some level that you had to take care of yourself so you could take care of your daughter and be there for your parents and your husband... Um, But how did you, what was that shift that you made? You know, as you said, it it took you 10 days to look at that picture and and link that it was your lack of self-care that got you to that point. But what was that? that shift that you made in terms of getting yourself out of that, because coming back to earlier when we were talking about, you know, it's easy when you have to do it for somebody else or for something outside of you, but when it's for yourself, how do you find that button or that link or that connection to do that? I, I think
1: for me, it's a bit like if you're working with any form of addict, because in a way it is an addiction because you, you know, you're, you're self abusing you know, in in many ways, Mm. Um, it's about hitting that point. And that photograph for me was my bottom point. I couldn't deny it anymore, because you stop looking in mirrors, uh, you don't go and buy clothes, stop yourself going out socially and and, really having a life. Yeah. Mm. So it got to the point where, yeah, that photograph was in my face. And it was like, you've got to look at this.
0: Yeah. It's like yeah. that old face it and change it thing. You know, you've got to face it and go, well, am I happy with this? Is this who I want to be? Is this how I want my life to be or what I want my life to be like? So it's like, as you're saying, really having that courage to go, well, the only person that can change it is you. Uh, there's, only, there's only two reasons
1: people change ever, and that's pleasure or pain. Yeah. You're moving away from pain or you're moving towards pleasure, whichever... One you want to say mm. and yeah yes you already know that you feel sluggish you feel tired you feel mm. uncomfortable in your body uh you're fed up and not having clothes that fit, fit nicely mm. um or you know, lacking in your confidence i mean work-wise i was really happy but even now it's, it's part of mm. me recuperating I still find it easier to close myself off socially. You know, when I came home, it's much easier for me to close the door and stay in than it is then to get ready and go out again. It, it, it's really still my push that, you know. Is that, and
0: okay? is that not okay to do that?
1: No, so but, but a balance. I mean, I'm quite happy. Hmm not you know if i'm going out and it's something related to work or i'm going to do a presentation or i enjoy dancing but you stop doing everything you enjoy
0: yeah so what you're saying is for you it's quite easy to still do the things that where other people are depending on you or if it's for your job um, but if it's something that's just for you it's still easy for you to go now just stay in and sit on the couch tonight instead of going dancing. And when, and if you do go dancing, you usually go, Oh my goodness, this is amazing. I love it. I should do it more.
1: (laughs) uh, Where I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I go every week. Yeah, mm-hmm. So I've sort of committed to to joining uh, joining join a club and, and going on a weekly basis. But even so, it's very easy while you're working and things are going on and you're saying, yeah. oh, well, you know, I've got an early start tomorrow. So again, it's about stop making those excuses. Yeah, it, stop putting it's,
0: yourself last. Yeah, it's as important as everything else. Yeah. And I think that's a huge shift. I mean, that is such a big mind shift because you know, I'm glad to hear that you still, and not in a bad way, when you say you still struggle with that, because I mean, I've been in this psychology for how many years, and you know, I I still struggle with the same thing, where it's a case of, oh no, it's cold now, I'll just stay inside, <laughs> why would I want to go out, you know, I wake up in the morning and go, oh, I'm going to go to gym today, or oh, I'm going to go for a swim, I love swimming, I love swimming, it's always been my sport, and then I talk myself out of it, and I go, no, I've got to do that, and I've got to do that, and it's cold, and I don't want to get in my swimsuit, and all those yeah. excuses, so, so it's constantly kind of finding that that way, that trigger of going, no, You're going to do something that's great for you this morning because you are important
1: i mean one of the things that i do a lot of work with people with a diary and if you put it in as an appointment because if you were making an appointment to go and meet somebody you would go and do it whereas and also if if it's in there as an appointment when you're making appointments with other people to do other things you can't you know just cross it out and say oh that's not important yeah it's it's in there so you work around it so you do then
0: work with time for yourself i absolutely love that because you know i've had so many argue, not so many arguments but in in the past i've clashed with people when i've made an appointment with them and i've put it in the diary and i've made sure i've set that time aside and i'm ready for it i get up in time i do whatever you know so i can be on time and then they don't pitch Or they keep changing the appointment and they keep changing, keep changing it. And eventually I've got to the point and I've gone, you know what? You can't keep doing this. I've set the time aside. You've now inconvenienced my day again for the fifth time because I make the time for you because you are important to me. So I'm giving you of my time because you are important to me. So the fact that you are saying to people that that is the way you should view yourself. That is massive. That's like such an aha moment right there by going, just do that for yourself, put yourself in the diary. And even if you have to kind of put in like a different name or give yourself a, a different fun name and it's definitely yeah. fun time, yeah. or, you know, this is for your happiness factor, as I call yeah. it, I mean, I love that. It's just, inc- I've never heard somebody say that before. And that just makes so much sense.
1: Yeah, I, I usually say it's a mix. So it's me, X, so whatever you want, and then you can put it in there. So yes, you can put it in under another name or do something,
0: but that is, if it's written in, it is part of your daily routine. Yeah. It's part of your commitment. It's part of your day. And that's what you're going to do regardless and treat it, view it, almost like bring it into your mindset of, you know, this is what I would do for somebody else. So this is what I'm doing for myself. Yeah. What a wonderful tip. I love that. So So you obviously so you've turned your life around and this is now what you do to help other people to do exactly the same exactly yes
1: yeah yeah Yeah, I do a lot of work within um, mainly education and uh, health but it's going out a lot further now because obviously many people in other spheres especially entrepreneurs and things like this are not very good at looking after themselves
0: yeah no they're not we aren't you know it's just such a and as you say so 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 have you moved away from the prisons now no i'm still i'm still within the prison
1: uh normally in the mornings i don't commit now uh to full days uh, because i'd always worked i'd always been headhunted i really hadn't been for an interview for about 20 odd years and it was like everything else oh yes I've and all sorts of things and my time for that really dawned when I went to the Middle East, because I got a contract to go to the Middle East for 12 weeks. And going away and working abroad uh, there really made me cut those ties, be able to cut the ties. So I'd days in the house in the end of a year. So when
0: I came back, it didn't have the same hold as when I'd left it. So, so you cut the ties with your, obviously with losing your husband and your parents and stuff, so going abroad, you were able to then cut the ties with your previous life, is that what you said?
1: Yeah, uh, not so just cutting them, but putting them into perspective, because, uh-huh. you know, at the end of the day, a house is a house. But yeah. sometimes we get so attached to the physical parts yeah. that it stops us moving on and doing other things. Yeah. And because I went to Saudi, I went originally for a twelve-week contract, and I ended up staying six and a half years. Wow! So I, I mean, I was coming back, was in that time, but the house then didn't have the same hold. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. the memories are still there. I still have the photographs. I still have lots of memorabilia of all of them. But I didn't need the house anymore as yeah. a. You know, to to be there so selling the house and I put all my belongings in storage I didn't have a home for a few years and then when I came back to the UK it was like opening everything up again and making sure you know you keep the good bits Mm. But all of a sudden you've got more of a balance back because you can look at it
0: from a more dispassionate eye and your daughter, how is your daughter? Does she still live in the UK and how she got on? She's in the UK now, yep, yeah.
1: because um, when we lost her dad and her granddad uh, very close together, obviously they were the closest male people to her, mm. uh, she really went off the rails because mm. she was 16 at the time, so um, unfortunately we went through a really big, as a men, of um, alcohol and drug abuse, so well, uh, to be honest, I'm very, very fortunate still to have her. Some of the things, uh, the times that she went through then. But she's uh, she's 28 now. And, uh, yeah, she's actually back in college. Amazing. She's doing a course now. And um, she's got a driving licence. And she's really pulled herself
0: back. But, but, yes, quite a few years of a lot of heartache. Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear she's back on track and she's doing well. And and you happy. So what if you had to say to like a young person now that 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 is listening in terms of so obviously you've you've had quite the journey um you know being the caretaker looking after other people realizing having your burnout clawing your way back um changing your life i mean that's quite something to do changing your life in terms of selling your house and going to live in a different country which you seem to have done a few times i have yeah and you you're obviously very resilient because you bounce back and you find your feet again so what is the one thing you like saying to people in terms of it from a preventative aspect but I think because I think often you know we always say to our children you know I, I wish you would just learn from me because we kind of don't want them to go through the same things but yet, at the same time, you know, I can remember my daughter saying to me, because this, because my son is very good at learning from other people. So he'll just go, no, mom, I'm, I've learned from your mistakes. Whereas my daughter's often gone, Mom, leave me alone to make my own mistakes. And that's quite hard as a parent when you, yeah. you kind of see them going down the same road and then they make their mistakes, they get they get hurt, they bounce back. I mean, fortunately, she's got she's she's an amazing person, and she hasn't she didn't go off the rails or anything like that. But at the time when she said to me, Mom, let me learn from my own mistakes, you kind of go, Oh my goodness, I just don't want you to go through the pain that I went through, which she didn't. But what I'm saying is, what is it one thing that a person can say to our younger generation in terms of, you know, learning through your own mistakes, of course, but also learning from other people so that they don't go all the way down? Do you know what I'm trying to say? But
1: again, I think it's about, you know, do as I say and not as I do. Yeah. If you are treating yourself bad, then you know, that even though whatever message you're saying is coming out here, then, you know, they're still getting the other message. When you think about it, no baby anywhere is born that comes into this world with any beliefs or isms or fears Mm. or phobias. Everything is learned. Yeah. So if we behave in what we, the way we want them to, to be behaving, They'll learn that. Yeah, you know, everybody's gonna make mistakes, but yeah. that's okay too. Yeah. But it's about not making the same mistake over and over again is what is what we do. Yeah. You know, you don't have one bad relationship, you have twenty. You yeah. don't you know, you don't have one donut, you have the whole tray full. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's okay. I mean, one of the things I did when uh, I started on the road was have a, um, a notice on the, the door of the cupboard in the kitchen do you really want this mm. and if the answer is yes then that's fine have, a, have a, a, a cake or a biscuit with your cup of tea but not two or three broken ones while you're making it because they don't count and then you know only take on the ones that you have while you're sat with your cup
0: of tea yeah yeah
1: yeah, personal accountability. I think if we teach personal accountability from, you know, from the beginning, then we'd stop making these excuses. Mm. Yeah? If you want to eat the whole packet of biscuits or you want to be in this relationship because it feels good to you, even if other people are saying no, but I did it because I chose to do it. Mm. Yeah? And, and then I think if we do that, we can respect ourselves much more.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, what you're saying is very much like, let's just be more conscious about our choices, because often I think, you know, as parents or as caregivers, that, you know, what we think is good for us should be good for somebody else, um, but yet maybe it isn't, you know, so for instance, if you don't approve approve or like the fact that your child has a tattoo but that's what makes them feel good, then that's their choice. But it's a conscious choice because, don't you think, a lot of times, you know, with, with parenting, I've discovered that there's so much that we do unconsciously. We do it because our parents did it and because our grandparents did it, you know. So a lot of people don't just wake up and go, wait, actually, is this part of who I am? Is this part of who I want to be as a parent? Do I want to do the same thing my parents did? So, and even like with the food, as you're saying, because I think a lot of times with food, it's just so unconscious. It's just a case of I'm bored. I want to feel good. Let me go and have that cookie. Let me go and have that extra chocolate. Let me have that extra glass of wine because now I'm feeling relaxed. So it's all about it really is all about being conscious and being conscious about your choices, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, everything is a
1: choice. And when you give up that choice, you know, mm. this is the way it's always been done. This is how it is. This is how I am. It's not, it's how you have become. Yeah. So going back and mm. looking at the choices and say, right, if I want to do that, if I want to drive at hundred miles an hour um, I, I accept that, you know, if I get stopped, I'm going to get a ticket or I'm going to get a fine. But yeah. it's my choice. It, you don't always have to be good or make the correct choice. But it's about not at the end of the choice, turning around and saying, oh, well, it was his fault. They told me to do this. It's because of this. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: It's about being
0: re- responsible for your choices. Yeah. And I guess it's even like what you were saying with the burnout and preventing a burnout and, you know, having to go through all that recovery and everything. It's once again about choosing yourself, choosing what you want to do for yourself and why you want to put yourself first above others. And I think that's such a hard lesson these days, especially for women. It's hard to put yourself first when you've always been taught (laughs) and it's been role modeled to you. How you put other people first, and then suddenly you're on this new journey, and you go, "No, I'm going to put myself first because if my cup is full, I have an overflow to give. But if my cup is empty, I'm giving on empty, and I'm going, and I'm going to burn out. I mean, that's that's a classic way of describing burnout, isn't it? I think also it's about realizing that it's not just about putting
1: yourself first; it's about putting yourself equal yeah it's about taking in uh, everything it's not just it's not about being egoistic or selfish it's no. it's about saying you know there's a balance
0: yeah i mean that's such a wonderful way to look at it because like you were saying that you work with a lot of entrepreneurs and if entrepreneurs don't look after themselves they also won't have a job because they are the vessel they are the the company the business the factory the whatever you want to call it <laughs> it's them so they've got, they like the car I mean because people look after their cars more than they look after themselves don't they so it's a case of like you've got to see yourself as the business because if you don't look after the business you'll, you're going to have nothing and how would you feel if you then have to have benefits or go and live off somebody else and not be able to take care of yourself that's such a fantastic way of looking at it and and
1: also because uh, for entrepreneurs um, most people don't do business just with companies they do business with people so if they're getting you know if you get on with this person you appeal to this person and you can get on on with them you're likely to be doing more business whereas (laughs) a long time ago I haven't done it recently but I used to do a keynote on um, uh, grey knickers and a bad hair day because, and this was very much for entrepreneurs, because, yeah, you know, if you're feeling drab and grey, are you going to get a million, a million dollar
0: client? Yeah. It's not going to happen. Yeah, because it's so true, because I'm in the feeling business, you know, everything is about emotional intelligence and it's about how you feel. And people can pick up on that. So if you're feeling like a million bucks because you're wearing nice knickers and you're feeling great, other people are going to be attracted to that energy versus if you're feeling sluggish and dirty and your hair's filthy and you're not bothered, people are going to pick up that as well. And they're not going to want to do business with you. So (laughs) you have given us so many nuggets of wisdom, (laughs) so many things to ponder on. And I just think it's so important. And I just want to, I want to thank you for taking the time to share your story because you know, whenever I speak to somebody, I'm never quite sure what is going to come out. And that's the way I love doing a podcast because it's just a case of no, I want to see what's going to evolve with the conversation. And yeah. not for a second that I believe that there was going to just be so many nuggets of wisdom <laughs> that I that I need to pay attention to. Never mind that the audience has to pay attention to. So I just want to thank you. Thank you for your time. And thank you for sharing that because I just think it's so important. And there's so many people that need to hear what you have just said because you've been there, you've done it, you've come back, you know, from a horrible situation a couple of times and, you know, you now, would you say you're thriving? Mm. Oh, yes. I mean, now, it, but um,
1: it, it's like being an alcoholic. It's exactly, you know, a, a oh. similar thing or a gambler or you know, a, an addict. You've got to keep working at it. It's like, same as a marriage. If you've got a long term marriage, it yeah. doesn't just happen. You have to work at it. So
0: you've got to work at yourself on a daily basis as well. I think um, Linda comes across as that mum you need that's going to kick your butt into gear when you're not looking (laughs) after yourself in a nice and kind, gentle, but stern way. That's that's the impression I get. (laughs) Well, that's not bad. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Tune in next time to hear more about how you can be more EQ.